Good morning once again and happy Sabbath. Uh, one thing that I, I felt moved to do, and this is not in the program, but I um, hope people will allow me to do this. Uh, I understand that there is, from Scripture, there is a special blessing to those who choose to worship the Lord and to have a special communion with Him on the Sabbath day. On the seventh day Sabbath, right? And uh, I'm also aware that some people in this congregation, a few people, I shouldn't say some, a few people in this congregation are struggling uh, to keep the Sabbath because they, they work in an environment where their employer is not, you know, sympathetic to the idea of giving them the Sabbath off. And so I'd like to offer a special prayer for these people, if that's okay with you. A special prayer for them before we start the message. Uh, not only that their employer will, will make things easier for them, will help them be able to keep the Sabbath, but also that these people will receive from God strength and encouragement and the assurance that uh, they can keep the Sabbath holy and that God will provide no matter what, right? And this is also valid for uh, students we may have here in the congregation that sometimes may have a hard time having the Sabbath off or for whatever other reason that not only they will, will have it uh, a little easier, but also that they will have the assurance that if they stand for the seventh day Sabbath, the promises we find in scripture, because it is a holy day, it is especially holy day, and uh, the Bible is clear about that. And that if they stand for that, that the Lord will bless them. And at the end of the day, if, if they have to lose their job because of the Sabbath, that's certainly not the best job that the Lord had for them. The Lord will provide something better. The Lord will provide something. And if they have to go through challenges, it will be a good opportunity for them to witness and to preach to others. Can we pray for them now? I'm going to kneel here. If it's possible, you, you can kneel as well. If not, just let's just all be reverent and pray to the Lord. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, today because in your wisdom, way back when you first brought life into this planet... And throughout those six days of creation, you worked and you prepared, Lord, all the way through the fifth day, you prepared the environment for your uh, masterwork, uh, human beings, to live in. And you allowed us, Lord, to come to this world and uh, in, the, in the person of Adam and Eve. And then the next day, the seventh day, you set it aside. And not only, Lord, you blessed it, but you made it holy. And you rested on that seventh day. Lord, what a blessing it is that even today we can still follow your example. We can still follow your commandment. And enjoy the blessings of the seventh day Sabbath as we congregate here and in other parts of this province, in other parts of the world. Lord, our prayer now is especially for uh, the young people in this church. And also those who are facing challenges in their 
a place of employment. Lord, we ask that you may provide for them that they will be able to keep the Sabbath holy and not have to go in. But we also ask you, Lord, that in a special way, the Holy Spirit will fill them with encouragement and assurance that you are able to provide. Lord, you are a God who have opened up the, the waters of the Red Sea. You have opened the Jordan River. You have, Lord, preserved the life of Noah and his family when everyone around them thought differently. When everyone around them doubted your word, but they remained faithful. And so, Lord, my, my sincere prayer is that these people who are struggling with this issue, that they will have the assurance that no matter what, you are going to take care of them. And you are going to give them, Lord, more blessings and glories and honor when they keep the Sabbath holy. This is our prayer for our brothers and sisters, for all, for all those whom we love. And we, it is our prayer for everyone else here in this congregation. And bless us today, Lord, as we open up Scripture and use me as your instrument, that your word may come out alive today and effect changes in our lives. We ask you these blessings in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I understand that uh, in many cases, uh, adoptive parents, they, they take their children into adoption uh, when the children are quite young. In many cases, they are babies only uh, or toddlers. But there are also cases where families will take in a child for adoption when they are a little older. And this story is told by a pastor. He's a Baptist pastor. His name is Paul, uh, is Timothy Paul Jones. He's also a professor in a seminary. And in his book, in one of his books, he tells the story of his adoptive child, his adoptive daughter. And he says that this daughter of his had been adopted by another family before. And they had a, a rough a first years of life for that child. And uh, it's true that they provided her with, uh, with a roof above her head. It's true that they provided her with food on the table. She had a bed and a bedroom. But for some reason that she couldn't quite understand, she realized that she was not really treated like the other children who were natural biological children of that couple. And uh, she, as, as she gained, started to gain awareness, she realized that when there was something really special and meaningful, any special celebration or a date that was really meaningful for the family, that they would do that, would celebrate only with the biological children, but she would be then taken to a, a relative or to a family to be looked after while they would have that celebration. This is, of course, uh, not a good thing, and this, of course, brought a lot of hurt into that child's heart. She couldn't quite understand. And obviously, the only explanation she could come up with was, well, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to be part of that. Now, this was an, uh, an American family. They lived in the States. And uh, a few times over those years uh, that she was with that family, they went down to Florida to Disney World. 
And uh, it was her dream to ever be able to go there. But she realized that every time they would prepare to go to Disney World, uh, she would never go with them. She would never be allowed to go with them. She was left under the care of another family. So she pretty much knew everything she could about Disney World. She would see the pictures. She would see their, uh, her uh, brothers and sisters and the rides. She would see all the, the activities and all the pictures, all the colors. And she would be willing so much to go, but something told her, well, I may be good enough to be part of this family and to be protected, but I'm not good enough to be with them all the time. Now, this is what, when Jesus instituted communion, he tried to, to make clear that this has never been God's plan. That anyone would be excluded from his family, from God's family. And Jesus instituted the communion service, the Lord's Supper, when he was just about to lay down his life on the cross... Just a few hours prior to that. And he was very intentional in gathering up his disciples. He called all 12 of them. And he went up there in the, in the upper room where they were for that meal. And he wanted to make sure that all 12 of them were with him. Well, among those 12, there were, there were two that uh, it was not by chance that they were called the sons of thunder. This is probably an indication to the very strong temper they had. But Jesus wanted to make sure that they were among them. That they were among the group that were having the, the last supper with, with him. Well, in that group there was one who would later on deny Jesus three times. But Jesus still wanted him to be part of the group. And Jesus knew that there was one that would go even further and betray him with a kiss and hand him over to his perpetrators. But nevertheless, Jesus was intentional in the fact that he wanted all 12 to be next to him for that special occasion. And so today we are having communion here. And I want us to feel as if we were part of those 12. We are all different. But Jesus is very intentional. Jesus wants us to be part of this service. I tend to think that the communion service is, it has to be more of a celebration than anything else. Uh, we have the opportunity to prepare ourselves. We have the opportunity to prepare by asking God forgiveness for our sins. For all the known sins we have. And to ask Him forgiveness for the sins that we are not even aware of. And we also have the opportunity to, to attempt to mend relationships with our brothers and sisters. And then after we do, do that, we come and we celebrate together the Lord's Supper. We partake of this bread, which is an emblem of the body of Jesus, and the grape juice, which is an emblem of the blood of, the blood of Jesus. And we partake together celebrating the victories that the Lord has given us. Celebrating the delivery, the deliverance, and the restoration that the Lord has given us. And then we move forward. So it is supposed to be a joyful, a joyful celebration. And I hope you can feel joy in your hearts today. Right? It is, it is something very solemn, but at the same time, it is supposed to be joyful. 
So we don't want to see anyone with a face as if they were mourning, right? Uh, the time for mourning and for grieving and for doing self-examination has already passed. And so today is the time to celebrate. But as I've said one day before, and I will say it again today, when Jesus was up there on the cross, he, was, uh, he had next to him two uh, criminals, two thieves. And one of them struck a conversation with Jesus. And he asked Jesus to remember him when Jesus would come in his kingdom. Somehow that man had a clear understanding that Jesus was the king, not of the Jews, but the king of the universe. And that he was going, going to come one day and finally establish for good his kingdom. And Jesus says to him, I can guarantee you, I can give you my word that, well, if you really trust me, you can trust my word. And I can guarantee you that you will be with me in paradise. Now that man lived a life of crime. I don't have details on his past life. But the one thing I know that it was his last chance. As he was hanging there and he would be dying a few hours after that. But he took that opportunity, his last opportunity, and he claimed, he cried out to Jesus, and Jesus guaranteed salvation for him based on his faith. And so, even if you have not been able to do full preparation for today's service, there is still this last window of opportunity where you can still pray to the Lord, where you can still maybe talk to someone that you need to solve something that hasn't been resolved. Do that, do that, but do not let the opportunity go away of participating in the Lord's Supper today. Now, in our text, the text that was read by, by Lloyd today, 1 Corinthians 10, verses 14 to 17, we see that Paul is making reference to the Lord's Supper because he talks about the cup of blessing of which we partake, he talks about the bread of which we also partake. And he says that, you know, the blood represents, uh, the, the grape juice represents the blood of Christ. And that the bread represents the body of Christ. But interestingly enough, in the first verse that was read, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. And if you have not read the entire chapter, if you haven't read the context here, uh, it may sound a little awkward that he starts talking about idolatry. And then he goes on to talk about the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Well, the entire chapter is actually talking about idolatry, talking against idolatry. And the one thing that we can see here is that Paul is making reference to the fact that if we all partake in this cup of blessing, we are partaking in the blood of Jesus Christ. We are becoming one with Him. And we are becoming one with one another. And if we partake in the bread, in this one bread that is broken here, we are also participating in the body of Jesus. So we are becoming one with Him. And we are becoming one with one another. But why would Paul be talking about, about idolatry? And then talking about the cup of blessing and talking about the body of Jesus Christ. Well, for, for the reason that he wants to make clear that if we partake 
of these emblems. If we participate with Jesus in his suffering, if we become one with him and one with one another here, then we cannot participate in anything that is idolatrous. We cannot take part in anything that directs our worship and our attention away from Jesus Christ. Now every time we talk about idolatry, I know that the first image that comes to mind is the idea of having a graven image to which people uh, worship, to which, to which people turn and, uh, and give adoration and worship and everything. And that is indeed a, a, the biblical sense of it, because we see that happening in ancient times and all throughout the Bible and even in New Testament times. But the word idol, it actually means, originally it means a shape, a form. So it is anything that is shaped to be worshipped by someone. The Bible has a description, and uh, I'd like to ask you to turn your Bibles with me to Isaiah. So this is one of the biblical descriptions of someone uh, crafting an idol to be worshipped by themselves. And, and this comes here in Isaiah chapter 44 and verses 12 and 13. Isaiah 44 verses 12 and 13. This is talking both about carved images and it's talking about uh, uh, iron uh, molding images. And so verses 12 and 13, the Bible says, The blacksmith with the tongs works one, works one in the coals, fashions it with hammers, and works it with the strength of his arms. Even so, he's hungry, and his strength falls. He drinks no water, and is faint. Then the craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks one out with chalk. He fashions it with a plane. He marks it out with the compass and makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. But then, in, verses, uh, in verse 17, it says, And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it and says, Deliver me, for you are my God. And so, an idol is anything that the human being will shape, will form, and will then direct their attention, their worship to that object, as if that object then becomes their God. And so it doesn't take much thinking to understand that an idol is not only, can be not only an, a carved image, an idol can be any shape, any form that takes the place of God in one's life. And so because the word idol means shape and form, it can take any shape and form that the human being will create. Now, do you remember of an occasion in the Bible, of a text in the Bible that talks about someone forming something else, or rather forming someone else? It was God, right? In Genesis, God, the Bible says that God formed man from the dust of the ground. And then he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And so God formed man, which means that God is greater than 
man. God shaped man, which means that God is the creator and man is the creature. Therefore, the creator is always larger and bigger than the creature. Because the creature is the work of his hands. And so, if a human being shapes something into form, that thing is going to be his creation. And so, therefore, the human being should never be worshipping that which is his creation. Because the human being will always be greater than the object that's been created. And so, whatever it is in our lives, because it can can take any shape or form, it could be, you know, your job. It could be sports. It could be uh, even food. It could be whatever that in your life takes the shape of a God. Because it takes precedence over anything else. Takes precedence even over God the Creator Himself in one's life. And so, it is okay to create things. It is okay to experience life, but never get so attached to something that that thing, that shape you created, becomes so larger in your life that becomes the main object of your life. Do not worship it. As Paul says here then in verse uh, 14 of 1 Corinthians 10, he says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Because you cannot worship something else other than God and still claim to be part of God's family. Claim to be one with the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. That's why he's so cautious about reminding them about idolatry. And if you read the entire chapter, you see that he's making reference to one particular episode in the life of the people of Israel. In fact, in verse 7, I believe... He quotes exactly one text from the Old Testament, uh, Exodus 32.6, where the Bible says that the people sat down to eat, and then they rose up to play. This is talking about when they they melted and molded that uh, golden calf. Now it's interesting when you read there in Exodus that uh, Moses was taking his time there with the Lord, and the people were saying, well, this Moses... We don't know what's of him. We don't know what happened to him. So they come up to Aaron and ask Aaron to give them a God. We want to have a God that we can worship. Then the Bible says that Aaron told them to bring all the gold they had. And so they did. They brought all the gold they had. And he melted it, the Bible says. And he formed, he shaped a golden calf, a golden calf. And it's interesting that when Moses comes down and he confronts Aaron, I'm sure that Aaron was very aware of the fact that we should never worship something we shape, something we create. And when Moses confronts him, he says, Oh, all I did was to ask people to bring the gold. And then I threw it in the fire and this thing came out. And uh, God was very displeased. Because they were replacing him with something they had created. And so it can be anything. It can take any shape, any form, anything in your life. It doesn't even have to be anything tangible. It can be just something in your mind. It could be your career that is taking precedence over anything else. Is robbing 
time from your, the time you should be dedicating to your family or to God or to anything. Paul is calling our attention. If we want to be part of God's people, you cannot serve to masters. You cannot be worshiping something that has been your creation. But then in verses 16 and 17, Paul says again, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And so listen to this. Paul is saying, you should not be worshiping anything that you shape, anything that you form. And even the cup of blessing that we bless, even the cup of blessing that we bless, it is not our creation for us to worship. Even though we ourselves go ahead and ask God's blessing upon it, it's only pointing to the blood of Christ. And then he goes on to say the bread which we break, even though we prepare the bread and we break it, it's still only pointing to Jesus Christ. And it is Him whom we worship. For we, though many, are one bread, for we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Well, in the family I was talking to you about, when finally the, the girl was adopted by this pastor's family, uh, he heard about the stories of her always wishing to go to Disney World, but always feeling as if she was not part of the family, she had been left out. And so it was his intention to one day go with his family to Disney World whenever he would have a, a speaking appointment down there in Florida and take the family, of course, the entire family and his newly adopted daughter as well. And so they planned for that. They had the date, they, they prepared to buy the tickets, they, they planned their, their uh, uh, the activities they would do, the, all the tour. And uh, he started to notice that like a month before the date, they would be going out on travel on that trip. He started to notice that the behavior of that newly adopted daughter changed completely. She would, you know, uh, for no reason at all, she would be stealing food when she could just ask for a snack and a snack would be given her. She would be lying about things. She would be preparing, crafting, you know, some... Uh, hurtful statements and saying that to her siblings for no reason at all. And that behavior was getting worse and worse and worse to the point like where uh, two days before the travel, he called her, he sat her on her, his lap and, and he said, things are not going well, aren't they? And she said, I know what you're going to say and I know what you're going to do. And he said, what is it? And she said, you are not going to allow me to go to Disney World because of my behavior. And this pastor says, you know, uh, I almost took her weakness for my to my advantage. Because I felt tempted to say, yes, if you don't change your behavior, you're not going to Disney World. But he said, that's not what Jesus would have done. That would not be gracious. And so he said, no, uh, let me ask you one thing. Is this trip to Disney World, is this something that we have planned as a family? 
And she said, yes. Now, are you part of this family? And she said, yes. And so he said, since you are part of the family, and since we are going together as a family, so I am taking you to Disney World. Yes, I am doing that. There is no way you are going to be left out. But there may be consequences for you to understand the difference between right and wrong. There may be and there will be consequences to some of your behavior, but you'll be going with us. And so I want to remind you today that sometimes we, we recognizing that we as human beings, we fall short of God's glory. We end up developing a behavior that is destructive. Just because we say, well, I am a sinner and this is, this is who I am. This is my life. But the Bible says that Jesus came that we might have life. And have it abundantly. So Jesus did not come so that our life would continue to be the same as before. He came to deliver us from sin. He came to deliver us from addiction. He came to deliver us from fear, from guilt, from all those things. And so, as we approach this opportunity to partake in this Lord's Supper, rather than you feeling like you must, you have to be left out because you are not worthy of Jesus' love, let's think of all the promises in the Bible because Jesus will take you, will sit you on his lap, and he will say, well, there may be consequences to your behavior. There may be consequences for the wrongs you are doing, but you are my child. And I want you to have the assurance of salvation. I want you to have the assurance that I am with you. I'm always there by your side. And that you are part of this family. And so I'm pleading with you this morning. That you take to heart this message. This is not to say that no matter what you do, everything is okay. I haven't said anything like this all the time I've been speaking here. Much to the contrary. There may be consequences. And in, in, in fact, in life, there are always consequences when you do something wrong. But Jesus is calling you today and saying, if you feel like you are unworthy. If you feel like you're a sinner. It is for sinners that I came. It is for the unworthy that I came because I gave my life on the cross to save sinners, to save people, people like you. Jesus, the friend of sinners, is calling you and I today to enter into this intimate relationship with him. As we partake of the emblems of his blood and body and we become one with him and one with one another. May the Lord bless us as we participate in this service.